Uh, I want to turn your attention to the word uh, today uh, in the first chapter of Mark. So the gospel of Mark, the good news of Mark, right? Chapter one. I do want to thank uh, Randy and Lynn for their wonderful, uh, first of all, their invitation to come and be with you this weekend, and then their great hospitality. It's been great uh, to be able to be with them. I know I'm in a little bit of trouble uh, this morning because uh, you're having a potluck. And anytime a church has a potluck and uh, the pastor has to preach and uh, potluck smells begin to make their way through the church, uh, it's a little bit of pressure on the preacher today. So, uh, so bear with me. We're going to get there. Uh, but I got to tell you the good news, okay? I got to tell you about the good news of Jesus. We've been talking, for those of you who haven't been here, we've been talking about the good news this weekend, Friday and Saturday. This good news of victory, which really is personified in the person of Christ. The good news of victory that comes when we know the joy of God's forgiveness, right? And our identity is changed. And we just know that we're different people because um, God has made us new. And so last night we talked about the, the joy of, um, of living in the awareness that the old is gone and the new has come. And what's the new look like? Well, it's this, this beauty that the glory of Jesus shines in us. And we're not shaped by the circumstances of our past, but we're shaped by the glory of Jesus that shines out of us. And, uh, and we talked about how we no longer live our, for ourselves, but we live for God and and makes a difference in how we get up in the morning. Because you're not living, how am I going to advance myself today? But I'm going to live for God. And then we talked about how we become then the agents, the ambassadors of God's reconciliation to the world. And we learn how to forgive each other because if you remember the good news of the story last night, those who have been forgiven much do what? They love much. Yeah. And I just can't get away from that. And the way that that compels us uh, to go into the world. So I, I want to thank uh, Randy for inviting me. I hope it's been beneficial uh, to you as we uh, think about um, living in the good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you found Mark chapter 1, stand with me, would you, this morning? Because I want to begin reading at verse number 4. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. Got to tell you, this is one of my favorite stories in the scripture. I got lots of those. My wife knows that I say that just about every time we preach, but this is one of my favorites, right? Mark chapter 1, verse number 4. Here's what the word says to us this morning. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him on the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, come, or after me comes one, uh, the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated this morning. Well, it has been uh, good to be with you this weekend. I hope you've been drawn to the good news of the gospel, which comes to us again this morning through this message from the book of Mark. Um, I, I, I hope that in the midst of it all, and even today, my hope is that you'll understand the joy of living into your God-given identity. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Living into your God-given identity. Um, uh, Many people uh, come to weekends like this or thinking about sermons like this and they begin to uh, think to themselves, uh, man, I'm challenging some new ways to make a fresh start. I I want to live into this identity that God has for me. Uh, For some, it looks a a little bit, uh, and it's a bad comparison, I know, but uh, here we are on the first weekend of March. We're a couple of months away, three months away from the start of the new year. Uh, Some people dare still in this world to make New Year's resolutions. Any of you make those? Okay. Yeah, you're like most people in the world. You're not uncommon. You know, because we don't like to hold ourselves accountable to those because we know usually the statistics say by the 1st of February, 80% of New Year's resolutions have gone in the trash. And uh, so there's a whole lot of folks who just kind of think about, I want to do something new with my life. I want to live into some new realities. I want to live and enjoy my identity in Christ in this example. But oftentimes um, they find it just as unsustainable. I just can't do that on a regular basis. I, I, I know the truth, and Pastor Scott, I'm glad you're here, and you reminded of us this week. But the fear is that, uh, boy, maybe next week you'll think about it, but in a couple of weeks I'll be nothing more than a memory to you all, right? Well, in the context of the story today, let me talk to you about how God wants to work in your life today to sustain the good news, the good news of the gospel, how he wants to sustain that good news in your life. Uh, I find that there are three clear images here um, that are significant to where I live today. They're significant for me as I live in my present, and they're significant as I live into my future. And and, and the first image I point you to uh, this morning is the image of John the Baptist. Now, you can see it here in the pap. Uh, in the passage, Mark tells us that he came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark says the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. And the image is that um, John the Baptist is drawing a crowd. He's drawing a big crowd. And, and, And he is the representation of a new thing that God desires to do in the world. God wants to do something new. And John the Baptist is the representation of that. Now now you have to understand the background of the story, right? Some of the cultural context of what's taking place in the world at this time in the scripture. Um, 
we can see very quickly that John the Baptist is a unique individual, right? I mean, he's got clothes made of camel's hair. He's got this leather belt around his waist. He's eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, uh, you just get the example or get the feeling that, that Mark is telling us that John the Baptist is different. He is different from the people around him. He's, he's not uh, your usual character. He is a character, is kind of what you get the feeling, right? And, and, and you might be tempted, with him being so different and unique, why would people be drawn to him? You know? I mean, why would people want to go out into the wilderness to see this guy? And then you understand the cultural context. For 400 years, God's been silent. For four centuries, there's been no fresh word from God. There's been no prophetic voice calling people back to him. I I was doing some reading, and I was reading about the significance of the prophets. And And an author by the name of Walter Brueggemann, who pinned this, he said, you know about the prophets. He said, they are Israel's hopers. They have their eyes on God's future, the newness God will give. The prophets, he says, are Israel's demanders who keep reminding that you must face the demands of God's Torah commandments of justice and mercy and neighborliness and individual risks for the sake of community. He says the prophets are God's greatest summoners who call Israel to change, to repent, to recruit away from the world's fast track, to be the patient reality of neighborliness and humanness and compassion and justice. This is the significance of the prophets. And, and, and think about what, what it must be like in this context where there's this vast void for the voice of God is not spoken through the prophets. We don't have any evidence of that in the word. What would it be like for you to live in a culture where it just seemed that God was silent? What would it be like to hear stories where individuals would come and foretell the great message to your people and the hopers and the demanders and the summoners, but you yourself and your people had never experienced that? What would it be like and how hungry might you be for God to do a new thing, to do a new thing in your midst, right? And then a guy like John the Baptist arrives. And it appears to everyone, right, that he is the embodiment of the Old Testament prophet. I mean, he looks like one. He sounds like one. Probably smells like one. He stirs within the people the memory of Elijah, right? A prophet who would emerge out of the wilderness before the day of the Lord. Could it be? Could it be that God is about to do a new thing in the lives of these people? Could it be that uh, as he calls the nation to repent and he calls them to turn back to God, could it be this is the dawn of a new day for them? I mean, it's how the message is understood. I mean, I read one commentator who, uh, who picked up on this message from Mark that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. One commentator estimated that was somewhere over 300,000 people making their way out into the desert, hungry for a new word from God, willing to 
confess of the failures of their past, wanting to be ceremonially clean through baptism, wanting to make a fresh start. Wow. You, you know, one of the things that makes this so, um, oh, it, it just tells me that this could happen and, and, and this story could be so real is, is that I watch people. And I watch how people are drawn to the new thing. Do you see this in the world today? I mean, people are drawn to the new thing. They, they want to experience something new from God. They, they're drawn to it. They want to hear God's voice in some way. They want to see some expression of God's power. They want to be in a place and around a people where, where they sense God is moving and something is happening. Hmm. Lots of people today tired of the same old, same old. And they want to see a new, fresh expression of God. And that's what we see here. John the Baptist's arrival. God is up to something. A new thing is stirring. And people are hungry to be a part of it. But look at the second thing. I, 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 second image I want you to see here. For John, in response to all that's taking place around him, and all this attention that he's receiving, he has an interesting message for the people. Did you pick up on it? I'm sure you did. He declares, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow. No question it's a powerful message from John the Baptist. A statement that we read and it demands our attention today. Here's John the Baptist. He's got this great following, drawing a great crowd. And it's the expression of this new thing God is doing for centuries of silence. John's voice is powerful. But notice what John wants to do. He wants to look at the crowd and announce to the crowd, Hey folks, don't just run after the new thing. Embrace God's deeper thing. Embrace the deeper thing that God wants to do. Do you see it? Make no mistake. The crowd is drawn to the new thing. It's different. It's unique. It's a message that invites people to turn from what's been to embrace something maybe they hope for. A vision, a new vision of the future. Listen, the dissatisfied masses are anxious to embrace anything new, a new kind of idea. It's not hard to inspire their dreams because often case, and often, often is the case that all they have to hold on to is their hope of the future. And in John's context, you have to remember, what do we see? We, we, we see the power of Rome all around them. And yet John is stirring the image of a Messiah, an anointed one. Here are people, they've been beaten down by Rome. The new thing always brings about the thought of a new king and a new kingdom. <laughs> they want to be delivered. They want to see God's kingdom come in a new way. 
And they know enough of their history to hold on to the promise of God. Could this be? Could this be? And yet John is saying, don't just look after the new thing. John is saying, embrace the deeper thing. Look at the passage. Yes, he has come to introduce the one characterized by power and authority in a world where the role and the duty of the slave was to carry the master's sandals, to tie them, to loosen the latchet when needed. John is humbled by this one who is coming. And he just wants us to know that his sandals, he's unworthy even to touch. I mean, that's the level of John's humility here when he looks at the greatness of Jesus. But hear John's words, this one coming, he'll bring a unique kind of baptism. For, for it won't just be a baptism of water, which symbolizes the outward washing away of one's sin. It, it won't just be the baptism which will make you ceremonially clean. For the one coming is about the deeper work of baptizing these folks with the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, He will speak and minister to the deepest issues of people's hearts. And He will bring real radical change. Change that will impact the world from the inside out. Oh, it's at the heart of the gospel. The good news. I mean, you think about it, and you think, oh, John's message seems so odd. I mean, these people are looking for a new king. They want this one who will crush their enemies and elevate them to a new position. (laughs) And yet John says, no, 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 no. The new authority will be focused in a different direction. For this new king will fill people like you with divine power. A power that will change your heart and life. The old will be gone. The new will come. And it will initiate a new kind of kingdom. Right? Wow. I mean, I mentioned it the other night, but it's true. The kingdom that Jesus brings is filled with paradox. You know, it just doesn't make sense. We, we, we think it in the, about it in the birth of Jesus. When Jesus comes in such a lowly manner. When he, when he is introduced into the world, not as a powerful king, but as a crying baby. Don't believe that song where it says, uh, you know, the baby Jesus, no crying he makes. Do you believe that? I don't. I believe when he was born, he came probably hollering into the world. That's who he was. There in that stable, not the king's palace. There among the most commonest of people. I mean, I was reading about it the other day. You know, his parents, uh, they're so poor, they can't even bring the best sacrifice. They, they, they have to bring these 
two doves because they can't afford. You know, they're just a poor young couple from a nowhere place out in the middle of a road. You know, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that's where he's from. It's kind of the reason, well, it is a big reason why we call Nazarenes. Can anything good coming out of this church? A bunch of lowly, ordinary folks like us. And you think about it. That's right. Here we are. You think about the guests, the first guests. They're not the dignitaries. They're these shepherds. A bunch of untrustworthy young guys that, you know. Uh, we ought to get the message right from the very beginning that this is no ordinary king. This is no ordinary kingdom. He's just come to turn the whole thing upside down and invite the most ordinary folks like us into the story. Isn't that good news? And that's John's message as well. For uh, John says, this one who will carry great honor and authority is coming to bring about a new kingdom. As people are baptized with the Holy Spirit, Because the first place the king wants to reign, let me remind you again, is not on some great royal throne in some palace, some far off place. But the place where the king really wants to reign is in you and in me. That's the good news. You know, I I read recently that the Exodus story that you're going to get to in your reading is all about God being for us. And then an author said the message of Christmas is all about God being with us, Emmanuel, right? And the story of Pentecost is all about the Holy Spirit coming so that God could be in us. What good news. So this morning, see, we're, we're invited to understand that Jesus has come to let us know that we can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we can experience this deeper work that God wants to do, a deeper work in our heart that gets to the very core of our identity. Because God in this moment is revealing to John that Jesus has come into the world not just to make us clean for a moment, but to fill us with His power and presence so that we can live, oh boy, a holy life. A life that's set apart for God and we live for God and Him alone. It's a a life where the Holy Spirit just reorients all of who we are and we're cleansed of that selfishness. So the thought that we had last night that you don't live for yourself but you live for God is not just something you do every once in a while. <laughs> this becomes the way you live your life because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you begin to love God with all your heart. And you begin to love your neighbor as yourself. And, 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 and the Spirit comes to fill us with that kind of power so that we can live that holy life not just every once in a while, not when we feel like it, Not when love is easy. (laughs) But we can live that way on Mondays. Yeah. 
and Tuesdays and the rest of the days of the week. You ever thought about that? How God just wants to fill you with His Spirit so that you might live for Him, loving Him with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself all the time. And it just becomes the very essence of your existence and the way you live. You know, your pastor is talking about how you're reaching into the community. What's critical is that you and your community live just loving God and loving people all the time, wherever you are. I, I, I think about it. Some of you would say, well, you know, uh, Pastor Scott, that's really good, this baptism with the Holy Spirit, but... You know, this is before Pentecost. You all study the Word. And you say to me, this is before Pentecost. So what does John really know about baptism with the Holy Spirit? Why can he say this? And what do you think he really means by that? This is before the day of Pentecost. Oh, I got to show you something. This is great. I, I can't help but be reminded today that if you read the story in Luke uh, about John the Baptist and his mother, Elizabeth. You remember that story? When the angel came and talked to Elizabeth, his mother? Remember what happened? John the Baptist's mother was pregnant with John the Baptist, and there was a moment in her life when she was touched in a significant way by the Holy Spirit. Remember that? And so we see some unique examples when people are touched by the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. It's pretty amazing. And then I think about John the Baptist's life. For, for the angel, when he talked to, to John the Baptist's father, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, he prophesied that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. So John knew something about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't talking out of you know, something he didn't know about. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, do we have any evidence in John the Baptist's life that, uh, that he lived as a, as a person filled with the Holy Spirit? Anything about his life that would say, there's a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's some evidence there. Well, I've got to show you. Because if you turn over to John chapter 3... John expresses John the Baptist's relationship to Jesus in this way. John the Baptist says, He must become greater and I must become less. You don't see evidence of what the Holy Spirit can do in your life and what the life of a Spirit-led person looks like. I think that's a pretty good definition right there. I think that's a great definition of what it means to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit where we just live our life in such a way (coughs) that our life is consumed by this desire that says, I want Jesus to become greater and I'm going to become less. That's it. I want Jesus to become greater in my life. I want more of Jesus and I want less of me. That's how John wanted to live his life. I think that's a beautiful example of the Spirit-filled life. This selfless life. Do you realize if, uh, if you'd live that way in your life today, 
It'd change your marriage and your family. You know, if you woke up every morning and just said, man, I want more of Jesus and less of me. It makes a difference and makes a difference in how I live with my wife. You realize how it would make a difference with your kids in your family? If every day you just woke up and you just said, boy, I want more of Jesus and I want less of me. I want my kids to see more of Jesus and less of me. Make all kinds of difference in your family. Do you understand what that would do to the people you work with? If every morning you just woke up and you said, man, I want more of Jesus and I want less of me. Those people you work with, they just see a whole different person. They'd see a person who's had a change in identity. I think they'd like you a little bit more if they saw more of Jesus and less of you. I think about your witness, the witness of you good folks right here in John Day. What would happen if your church just said, you know, we're the people that every day when we walk in our town, we want people to see more of Jesus and less of us. You could have a dynamic impact upon this city. You could have a dynamic impact upon the people you do business with and the people you interact with, your neighbors, because they're going to see more of Jesus and less of you. I mean, that's the Spirit-filled life. I, 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 I hang around the church a lot. I'm in lots of churches. I go various places. And, uh, and, and I talk with people, and I, I hear the story. You know, there are some people who say, Oh, Pastor, that's a great message. Thank you. That is a really good message. I'm blessed by that. That's good. And you know what? I want to try to live that out this week. And it kind of looks like a New Year's resolution to them. You know, it's something they try to do in their own strength and power. They get up, I'm going to live more for Jesus and less of me. And, and, and your resolve, you may be a very disciplined person. I'll give you two weeks, right? I'll give you three weeks. And then you're kind of back to the old way of living. I got to show you something in the passage. I told you there are three images here. Um, I know that in the world today... There are going to be lots of people who aren't going to encourage you to live a life that's more of Jesus and less of you. That's not the way the world defines freedom. Because the world wants to define freedom as all of you. You know, your rights, your opportunities, your desires, pursue them with all your, you know, all the gusto you can. But let me tell you how God wants to sustain this in your life. Are you ready? It's their third image of the passage. It's really my favorite part of the story. For it's seen in the context of the baptism of Jesus. In a very simple way, Mark tells us that Jesus came to be baptized by John. I can see Jesus waiting in line with all the other people. Just waiting his turn. We read the other Gospels and they say that John was shocked when he saw Jesus. He was hesitant. No, this is not what's supposed to happen here. And Jesus said, no, this is what's supposed to happen. And Mark tells us that something incredible happened for 
as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. A voice comes from heaven and says to him, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Wow. What do you think it had been like to be there in that moment? Must have been incredible. Speaks to my life every time I think about it. You all understand Jesus is on the verge of stepping onto the public stage. But before he does, he's going to confront the temptation of the devil, this all-out attack related to the desires and appetites of his life. I believe the temptation of Jesus was real, don't you? I believe it was so real that Jesus could have, he had every opportunity to make decisions other than the ones he made. And I thought about that the other day, and I was overwhelmed by the thought and the awareness that being Christ-like, even for Christ, was not always an easy path. Sometimes being Christ-like for Christ was hard. It was difficult. Difficult decisions, difficult challenges, difficult options. The, the ultimate, we would say, was when he had to embrace the cross. I mean, the greatest expression of faithfulness and love leads Jesus right to the place where he asked the Father, is there another way? You know the story. But here's the baptism of Jesus. You see what happens? What does God do? In this moment, God clearly affirms the identity of Jesus. Do you hear it? God says to him, Jesus hadn't really done anything yet. He hadn't been out in ministry yet. And yet the baptism, as the Spirit comes upon him, the Father says, you are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here's what I want to tell you today. God is calling you into a deeper life with Him. The deeper life. Where you're baptized by the Spirit. More of Jesus and less of you. And you can't live that life on your own. You don't have enough self-discipline. But you can live that life. You can live that life when you embrace the identity that God wants to speak over your life every day. When God comes to you and says, listen, you're my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. You're my daughter whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. It's as if God wants to just say, here's who you are. Here's your identity in me. Now just live into it. Just embrace it and live into it, right? I told you the story the other night, last night, about how when I was a boy, my mom tried to emphasize my identity. Every time I left the house, she would say, remember, you're a Shaw. (coughs) My last name. You're a Shaw. Remember, you're a Shaw. She told me that. I can still hear her voice ringing in my ears. All about my identity. I have another story i got to tell you. This one moves me every time I think about it. I was 18 years old. I grew up in uh, Concord, California. Any of you have been to Concord, California? 
It's my hometown. Uh, when I was a, uh, uh, when I graduated from high school, um, my, uh, my seventh grade Sunday school teacher was the basketball coach at Northwest Nazarene College, now university. And he, uh, he needed a basketball player of my size and I guess my talent. And so he called me and he said, I want you to come play basketball for us and play basketball and baseball at, at Northwest Nazarene College, now university. And so I agreed to go. Never been to Namp, Idaho. There were more people in my, uh, my city than there were in Boise, which is the capital of Idaho. There were more people in my county than there were in the whole state of Idaho. So going to Nampa, Idaho was kind of wandering off to the far country for the people where I lived. And it really made it confusing because there's a place called Napa, California, and it's home to the state mental institution. And so when I said to people, I'm going to Nampa, they would think Napa, and they wondered where in the world I was going with my life. Right? But there I was, I was a 18 years old, I'm getting ready to go off as a freshman in college to go play basketball at NNC. And my parents weren't going to take me to college. They had some friends who were driving to Nampa, and so they said, you can ride with them. So I was waiting at the Sonol Valley Golf Course parking lot with my mom and dad. We'd had lunch there, and they were going to put me in this car and send me to Nampa, Idaho. So I'm standing in the parking lot with my father. Now, you'd have to know my father. He's a funny guy. And uh, he died a couple years ago. I miss him. But he, he, uh, he was not good at saying goodbyes. He would just blubber, you know. Any of you like, well, I won't ask you. But, you know, he'd start to tell you something, and then he'd just start getting all teary-eyed and everything. And he'd start to blubber. And he's a pastor, so instead of, you know, stopping, he'd just start to pray, and then he'd pray and be done. That's how it worked. Start to make the speech, couldn't get through it, and then break into prayer, and the amen was, we're done. And so there I was in the Snow Valley Golf Course parking lot, waiting for these people. My father was standing beside me, and I was about ready for the speech. And I kind of knew what was coming. But then it happened. I can feel it as if it was today. He put his left hand on my shoulder. He took my right hand in his hand. And he said to me, Scott, your mom and I are really proud of you. And we believe in you. And you are going to do great. You're going to have a great time. Wow. What he was doing was saying to me, You're our son, whom we love, and we are really pleased with.
And you know that happened over 40 years ago in my life. And I can still feel every aspect of every powerful word that he spoke into me. That's the significance of identity. So when I think of Jesus coming out of the water and the voice of his father saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Don't you believe that every day Jesus went about his life? And as you read the Gospels, the good news, right? Every one of these encounters that he had that were hard or difficult or stressful, don't you believe that somewhere ringing in the back of his head, in the back of his mind, was this good news that said, I'm my father's son. And he loves me deeply. And he is pleased with me. And it enabled Jesus just every day to carry on. Every day to carry on. Wow. I think about it today. And uh, to some of you this morning... You may have never heard any kind of message like that ever in your life. As we talked about on Friday, maybe you've got some things from your past that still shape your present and future. And God wants to free you from that. And God today wants to speak into your life. And God wants to say to you, you are my beloved son or daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And in doing so, you know what God wants to encourage you to do? He's encouraged you then to live into that identity where you live. Oh, I want more of Jesus and less of me. It's okay. My father loves me. I want to live with my family. More of Jesus, less of me. Stand with me this morning, would you? Amen. In a minute, okay? Uh, I, I would just like for you to just pause before we uh, close the service today. I'd like for you to just think for a moment about your identity. Who shapes your identity? Does the world? Does your past? Or today, do you hear a loving father speak into your life? And his message is, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Knowing your identity is the key to living into the deeper things of God.
because I can guarantee you, just as Randy mentioned in his testimony today, what a great testimony. You're going to face hard things. You're going to face difficult things in your life. Do, do, do you know how you live through those hard things in your life? Your identity. I'm my father's son or daughter. With me, he's pleased. And he loves me so much. So today, would you hear the words and embrace them as your own? You're the sons and daughters of God. He loves you more than you could ever comprehend. He is pleased and proud of you. Embrace it. Live into it. Live like it. I'm my father's son or daughter. Live like it. With he, he, he's very pleased with me. Lord, thank you for the chance we've been, had to be together. And I just believe, God, your spirit is speaking to some folks today. Maybe someone who's had a difficult past or Maybe they lived in a home or environment where words like that were never spoken. And maybe today, for the first time in their life, they're hearing a good news message that they are really deeply loved as the sons and daughters of God by you. And with you, they are pleased. So, Lord, thank you. And so my prayer today is that we would now Embrace that identity and live into it. Because it will make all the difference in how we impact not only our families, but this community as the people of God. So thank you. And may our lives please you in return. In the great name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.